Hello everyone and welcome to Focal Point, the IMV Imaging Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Ben Sullivan, and I'm joined by the usual crew, Sam. Hi, everybody. And Laura. Hello, everyone. And this month, we have a really, really exciting episode in store for you. We are going to be talking to our internal R&D team here at IMV Imaging in the UK. And we're going to be talking to them about how we design an ultrasound scanner. So that's right from the beginning of the process where we define the problems that the new product is going to need to solve all the way through to the other end where we're making production units that can be sold to our customers. So in that vein, I am pleased to be able also to introduce our guests, Rab Robertson. Hi there. Kieran McCrory. Good morning. Fraser Hamilton. Hi there. And Graham Sharp. Hi there. Firstly, guys, thanks ever so much for taking the time out to join us today. It's, uh, it's greatly appreciated. Before we, before we get stuck into talking about designing an ultrasound machine, It'd be really nice if if you guys could just briefly tell our listeners, uh, in turn, each of you in turn, what you do within the team. So, um, Kieran, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on you first. Could you just let everybody know what uh, what your role is? Yeah, no problem. So I'm a mechanical design engineer. Um, I've been with IMV for I think just over five years now. Um, so my role in the team is the kind of the physical stuff. Um, we look at the process from start to finish um, from the design of the physical mechanical parts of a scanner. So normally I would come in slightly behind the, the electronics guys um, once the technology or the, the next stage has been established and we get involved in the, the, the physical form of a scanner. So that will be right from the, the early focus group stages right through to the final production stages of taking concepts, making models, um, doing things from the cosmetic side of things, the ergonomic side of things, the durability side of things. And I, I work very closely with Graham um, and we, we're sort of in charge of taking it through to full production. Uh, so we work really closely with the, the guys in engineering and then following it through into, into production and into a full all singing, all dancing product. That's brilliant. Thanks, Kieran. Uh, so, Rab, next on to you. What, uh, what, what's your role within the team? So, I've been with IMV and BCF for about 15 or 16 years now, actually. My main responsibility is software. So, both the software that runs on the scanners and more recently, the apps that we use to connect to our, our wireless systems, the EasyScan Go and GeoScan Go. Uh, I've worked on all of the BCF scanners, IMV scanners, since the OBScan 6. So, yeah, done quite a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff there. Fantastic. That's that's brilliant. Thanks, Rab. Um, Fraser, I'm going to come to you next. Could you uh, just let us know what your, your remit is? Uh, sure. Um, I'm an electronics design engineer um, and firmware. Uh, I work um, mostly on the ultrasound physics side of our scanner design, implementing new ultrasound techniques and uh, and features um, to improve imaging performance across our entire range of ultrasound scanners. 
Fantastic. That sounds uh, that sounds pretty intense. Um, so then that that just leaves you, Graham. Perhaps you could uh, say a few words as well. Thank you. Yeah, my uh, role is really very similar to Kieran's. Um, is uh, already described very thoroughly the the design process that we go through for for the mechanical aspects of the uh, of the scanner design, um, and any other um, uh, supporting. Um, parts, accessories, ancillary products um, in order to uh, to make the user experience with the product um, as good as possible. Um, it's, it's us working alongside the, the electronics and software um, engineers to, um, to pull the product together into a, into a user-friendly package. Brilliant. Thanks, Graham. And I, I think already that it's sort of starting to get a feel for the fact that, you know, this is quite a, like a multidisciplinary process. It's, it's quite nice to, to kind of see how these, these, um, these various functions of the, of the design team might start to, uh, to pull together. Um, as I said at the beginning, this, I, I think this is a really exciting episode, certainly for us uh, as, as clinicians in the team. And I hope to our listeners as well, because we're obviously used to using this kit, um, you know, in a kind of clinical context, in a diagnostic context. Um, but it's just, it's it's one of those things where you, you just get the final final product. You, you know, it's kind of there, it's available, and uh, and you, you get used to using it and, and probably give not a moment's thought to how it actually got to be there, how it got designed. Um, and to have the opportunity to, to delve into that is, is, is fantastic. Uh, consequently, we've got loads of questions for you guys. Um, so, Sam, perhaps you'd like to, uh, to, to to get the ball rolling with those questions. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, definitely a, a lot of questions and some really interesting things, because as you said, it's, it's something we're completely naive to as vets. And you mentioned a bit in the intros, guys, uh, a little bit about the various sort of design processes that, that come into this. But I suppose just going going kind of right back to the start, where do you begin designing an ultrasound product for the veterinary market and and what are the kind of the key stages or landmarks in that development i'll take that one then shall i thanks rob yeah that'd be cool get the (laughs) kids going um yeah well and most of the products are obviously iterative in that they are developments of of the or not necessarily developments of existing products new versions so we know we're going to design an ultrasound scan, for example. We don't need to think too much about that, but what we're looking at is improving on the previous generation. So for the the farm products, which is what I'm largely involved in, it's mostly about making them more compact, lighter, more robust, easier to use. So we kind of we tend to start off with we have our own ideas about the next generation of scanners, the EasyScan Go, for example. We knew we wanted to build some kind of wireless system because for years, for as long as I've been there, people have been asking us for a wireless probe. We want a wireless probe. We need a wireless probe. It's too boxy. It's too big. It's too heavy. So that was always going to be the kind of main feature of something like the EasyScan Go and ultimately the entire product range as it turned out. Uh, So we get feedback from users of the current systems. We get feedback from guys like you, vets, uh, that that work with us. We also get feedback from marketing as well because they have direct contact with a lot of the customers. They can see 
which direction the market's going. And we, we take all of those kind of, all of those desires and wants, and we filter out the ones that are utterly unrealistic, of which there are many, as a rule. Um, and we get down to what we can actually do within a reasonable time frame as well, because you can, you have to build the product. It has to be sellable within a reasonable period of time. So you can't just uh, incorporate every single good idea. And you need to leave something for the future as well, because we need people to buy our new scanners too. Um, so we'll start off with that. We'll start off with an idea. We'll get feedback from customers, vets, marketing, filter down to what we can do, and then we go on to the requirements. What does this product actually need to do? And that includes everything. So that would be how small is it going to be? How heavy does it need to be? How long does the battery have to last? What kind of image quality are we looking at? How many channels? What type of probe? Uh, what type of user interface? So that's quite a lengthy process. Um, and you have to get everyone involved to kind of sign off on it. In the case of the Easy Scan Go, we had a focus group as well where we brought in, I think it was four, four different vets and contractors who used the Easy Scan for. We got them into the factory. We showed them some of our ideas for the next generation. We got feedback from them, incorporated a lot of that as well. And that's before we even start designing anything. You know, that's just the initial stages of planning the requirements, what we need, what we want, what the customer wants, what we can actually do. Uh, and then, then we start to design it. And that's the next stage of this. Yeah, I mean, that, that's brilliant. Thanks, Rabbit. Um, I, I suppose then following the sort of natural progression or follow on from that is, is you know, what once you've got to that point of starting to, to lay something out, um, uh, you know, I, I, Kieran, you've obviously alluded already to the fact that you perhaps sort of follow on you and Graham, your work follows on on from the, the electronics and and software stuff. What what happens then? Like, how how do you progress that 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 and beyond that stage of actually starting to to kind of lay materials down? So, I I often think of it as as really quite a long process from from our side, but what what Rab's covered is so much of so much of the te technological advances and and what goes into the scanner is is what. Graham and I follow on from. So often it's a case of um, the, the guys understand very well our side of the job. So when, when they're working away on, on sort of board layouts and things, and they, they know the limitations of, of how the scanner is going to be used and, and what we need to do with it. But um, when we step in, the, you know, the, 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 fundament, the fundamentals are in place. Um, and it's we we will always want to go to the electronics engineers and say we we want a, a smaller board. Um, we we want more space to play with, and it's about a kind of there's always a bit of a trade off. Um, and then it's a kind of it comes down to a balancing act for us, especially in the on the farm product side. Yeah, it's about balancing heat and space. Um, so because we try to keep our products as sealed as possible. We can um, have open vents or fans to actively cool our scanners. So um, uh, we typically will have channels to try, try and seal, whether that's through rubber gaskets or, or O-rings or a whole combination of different things we can do. We will we'll take 
a, a size outline about a box shape and then try and work with it we get we get the fun side of things where we can start off with chunks of play-doh the the focus group rab was mentioning there we were able to give people you know things thrown together with bits of cardboard and play-doh and get get people's hands on things um and it it's a kind of we, we go through multiple other iterations we we have the luxury of having 3d printers in the office now so that really helps open things up for us things that in the past you would um, sketch in paper repeatedly and do cad designs for and toil over for weeks before committing to a model we can just get an idea printed that night or even that afternoon and have it in your hands the next day um, and it, it makes a really big difference to us um, and what we'll do is take sketch concepts or physical concepts and then get them into software. Um, so we use CAD modeling. Um, and then it's 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 really getting the detail into that, nailing down how we mount PCBs, how we connect to the batteries and how we keep all that sealed and, and heat controlled. Um, and step by step, and um, we've got the luxury of having, having you guys at our disposal and it makes a massive difference to us having vets on the team that we can just go straight out to a farm with you know we it doesn't have to be a finished product it can be a 3d printed um, elements with cardboard boxes hanging off the side of them that we can get out and, and see it in a farm environment and really get to grips with how people want to use it before we take it too much further down the line there's no point in us getting a, a beautifully final final concept that you you guys hate um but uh step by step it kind of gets you closer and closer and we we work really closely together with with the different elements to try and refine it as we go um and then you you end up <clears throat> we'll use all, a whole range of manufacturing processes through injection molding the plastics and machining the metalwork and a whole co combination of adhesives and sealants to try and get a, a a rugged product at the end of it um and it's, again it's it's getting tested through and, and getting straight onto a farm because the what we're very aware of is the level of um how to, how to put it politely the level of abuse that our products might take in the field um given the nature of them so yes yeah, it's, it's it feels like quite quite a long process from time to time but it can be quite satisfying so how how long does it take to create an ultrasound machine from first concepts to having a product that's available for use? I think it it can depend on the on the sort of the leap that the product is taking. Like so, what Rab touched upon at, at the start there of of describing the the focus group process. I mean that that stuff happened. I, I worked in Easy Scan Go for the first couple of years. I worked at the company, and and Rab and and Adam and the team were doing that before I started. Um, but we immediately followed on from Easy Scan Go with GeoScan Go, and that used the same platform, a lot of the same technology, similar board layouts, uh, and that that process. Rab can probably correct me, but I think were you not turning that around in less than a year it felt like a really quick process to to get that moving um but that's because a lot of the the base layers of of of, of what the thinking of an easy scan go could be could be moved across into another scanner um it can it can really vary significantly but i think you're you're talking years rather than months typically yeah uh, as, as kieran said the so I think EasyScan Go from Adam and I 
first trying to transmit ultrasound wirelessly before we had any hardware at all. We were just using, like, it was just Android phones we were using to see if we could actually do it because we didn't know if we could. From that to having an easy scan where we could actually sell, must have been getting on for nearly three years, I think. But as Kieran said, because so much of the development work, the transmission of ultrasound, the, uh, the type of hardware we were using, uh, we had some new technology in terms of moving some of the electronics into the probe head to make the probe cable thinner, things like that, that had come along because the companies that make these ultrasound devices are obviously increasingly integrated as well. So the chips themselves are getting smaller and smaller. Because we'd already done most of that development work, as Kieran said, the dual scan goal was much, much quicker. But yeah, designing something new with significant technologi technological advances like the easy scan goal was a long process. You're probably looking at two to three years for something like that. That's that, that's um, that's actually really interesting uh, kind of facet of it that certainly I had never really perhaps considered so much, and I think probably doesn't doesn't necessarily it, it's not a kind of a concept that maybe would apply to our our sort of if you like area of expertise is that idea of or that concept of having having a technology developing a if you like something new but then refining that and reuse almost reusing that technology in different ways to, to, to make the most of it. That's actually quite, um, quite, quite an in, interesting idea and interesting concept. That's kind of the way we've looked at it with, with the easy scan goal. We weren't just building an ultrasound scanner. We were building a hardware and software platform that we could use for multiple devices for different use cases, really, because with a development, process of three years it doesn't make it doesn't make commercial sense to spend three years building a scanner when realistically you're only going to sell that scanner for what five or six years before you replace it again just the, the development costs have to be worthwhile they have to be spread over uh, multiple products we need to make sure we can make our money back that's commercial reality really so yeah, that's really interesting. Um, it, it's as I said, very new to us, sort of learning about this development process. But I'm sure something a lot of people listening, if, if they are vets, will be interested in. And again, being a vet myself, I, I've seen the environments and been in the environments where this equipment has to be used. And there's a lot of different um, scenarios where um, our hardware is, is utilised, and and it's safe to say it's not necessarily the same as in a in a human hospital. So it'd be really interesting to to, to get your guys' perspective on what you feel the biggest challenges are when designing a product for the sort of veterinary, I suppose, environment, um, kind of the, the the way we're using the scanners. Yeah. Um. So. One of the things that uh, we try to do specifically when designing a scanner for the veterinary market is thinking about this environment in terms of what is extra that you don't find in a human medical setting. Um, for instance, if you're in, say, a small animal practice, there's going to be a lot of fur around, most likely. Um, and maybe sometimes when you're working, you know, you can't really tell uh, your patient to sit still uh, in the one place. So we're thinking about that and how, how do we factor that into design? Um, if we go to the farm animal environment, 
we're thinking, well, in terms of the usability of actually operating the scanner, if you look at some of these human medical uh, ultrasound scanners and they've got loads of dials and buttons and, and fiddly bits, um, we took the approach of thinking, well, we want to make this as easy as possible for users to make a good diagnosis. So one of the things that we actually do on the EasyScan is we take away the whole idea of setting your own, the, the, the transmit frequency or setting the focal point, for instance, or the time gain compensation. We give you three modes um, of different depths and we have presets for each of them um, where we do change things in the background. But we find that for a lot of users that is perfectly acceptable and it allows them to really focus on making a good diagnosis rather than trying to focus on image optimization um, which can be especially fiddly uh, on human medical scanners. Um, finally as well if you think of the equine um, market uh, we think of how our scanners can fit into that space in terms of being both um, rugged uh, and durable if you're anywhere near the the legs of a cow uh, the legs of a horse even it can be um, quite dangerous for a fragile um, piece of equipment um, but also how can you get really good um, image quality from that rugged piece of equipment um, so yeah there's a lot of different challenges uh, for different areas of the veterinary space which I think makes it just yeah really interesting to work on. One thing that um, that uh, Kieran also mentioned earlier on was about about ventilation, fans, and and so on. I, I, and and uh, you, you alluded to lots of sealants and glues and adhesives and things. I, um, one thing I suppose, in addition to what you've said, Fraser, is that we, for large animal practice anyway, we tend to operate in potentially water-containing environments, um, and and in the spirit of of not wanting to get water into into electronics kit. Um, I, I assume the, the sort of implication there is it needs to be sealed. Um, and I'm assuming sealed boxes get quite hot with electronics in them. I, pre presumably that's a bit of a um, kind of mental challenge and design hurdle for, for you guys as well. Absolutely. Um, we, we work on trying to uh, make our scanners, which are fully sealed, um, as low power as possible. Um, so everything from... Uh, we're trying to extend the battery life as as well. That has another effect, um, but reducing heat um, by just improving how we use ultrasound more efficiently, um, which has a, a range of benefits just outside um, uh, heating. Um, so yeah, that's uh, thinking up in new new and different ways to to save power, to save heat um, is always. Uh, a very big challenge for us um but yeah we're always working on that we we've got the challenge of, of of designing products that can be getting used in sort of siberian winters versus um dubai summers and you know controlling the heat of these products can it can be a real challenge and it's something we're always kind of trying to fight with um there's various 
Fraser and Adam and Rab do the the clever stuff in terms of how they output the product, but then it's up to Graham and I to do the kind of clunky stuff about having pieces of metal that can try and transmit the heat to different areas of the product where it won't um, do so much damage and chance, chances stands a better chance of escaping the product. And there's, there's kind of things we can do that, that assist throughout. But it, yeah, it's always a, a tricky balancing act. The, the company have always been quite good in in making staff aware of the use environment of the products and that I think almost everyone that joins a company gets offered the opportunity to go sheep scanning um, in rural Scotland um, in October, November in sort of rickety um, sheds and it really gives you a good idea of, of the level of abuse and, and the kind of the use cases of, of some of the products um, and we're always keen to get out onto, onto farms because um, yeah I mean it's when you say to product people that the products need to just be sealed, you know, it's not the kind of nice, pleasant office environment where we're dunking products in water and, and checking how well they're sealed. It's the the level of contamination are, are things far more aggressive and interesting than um, just water um, when you're at the business end of a cow. Um, so, yeah, um, keeping them clean and then working out what chemicals can be used on them and all these things is, is always a, a tricky balance. Do you get quite a lot of inspiration from seeing how they're used in practice? And um, I, I guess finding out what these machines need to put up with. I think, I, I, I yeah, we, we see them and, and the way folk use them. And it, I think the, you, you first experience that by seeing service calls come in and, and the condition of some of the products and... I can do all the drop tests I want onto concrete or various surfaces, and I'll still never be able to replicate the the wear and tear that you still see in, on products sometimes. But I think I'm pretty sure Rab's seen it more on the various sheep scanning visits. But the way you see people, I think vets surprise me at how what's what's the right way of putting it how how um they can adapt and and set up their own rigs and their own custom ways of doing things um we often see products come in with little attachments screwed into them and, and other ways that make their life easier and they, they found a way to try and adapt a product for their own way of working which obviously means we are doing something wrong so we need to look at it and say well what what can we do that would would improve their, their practices but yeah you you see you see all sorts it does it both inspires and horrifies in equal measure. <laughs> so you obviously get your inspiration for creating um, the sort of physical appearance and rugged, um, sort of durability of these machines from quite a few sources by the sounds of it. Um, is it just sort of aesthetics and ruggability that you have to consider or do you have quite a lot of technical limitations when, um, you, when it comes to designing these uh, sort of machines? It's rare that we would find that the design is driven by the aesthetics um, unless we're constrained to follow an established brand identity as closely as possible, which can sometimes be the case if there's a strong um, brand and we want our products to be immediately recognisable uh, as IMB products. Um, the, the aesthetics then jumps quite high up the, the, the priority. Um, but inevitably, the first priority is to make sure that we've met those functional requirements and solved the technical challenges. The, the guys have, you know, outlined um, some of these challenges already, um, and that's uh, and that's key to the success of the product. Um, but once we, we've kind of firmed up on 
on the working parts, the internal components and, and the ergonomics um, of the product, it sort of naturally begins to take shape um, aesthetically and uh, and even more so when we then begin to look at the kind of materials and the manufacturing processes that uh, that are available to us um, uh, to, 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 to produce the product. Um, each of these materials and processes brings its own opportunities and, and limitations um, for introducing sort of aesthetic um, cosmetic uh, details. Um, so yeah, the, the, there is an order to things. Um, not to say that aesthetics is an afterthought. Um, the user experience is is vital in, in uh, aesthetics as part of that. Um, I think we we kind of know from from a uh, from an, an interactions with all products around us that that we quite quickly decide um, within a few seconds of using a product whether whether we we think it's a good product or not. Um, so it's important for us to make sure that uh, that everything about the the user experience, the um, the ergonomics, how intuitive it is to use, um, even the the initial setup of the product, uh, all contributes towards our um, sort of growing opinion on on uh, on how successful the product is. Um, so the um, yeah, we, 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 th th this is where um, user trials and, and, and testing becomes very important. Uh, when we've got a, a product, even just at a, a concept stage, is getting it into um, into the hands of, of potential customers uh, and, and seeing how they interact with it, seeing whether uh, the setup and use is, um, uh, is straightforward and intuitive enough for them. Um, and, and again, you know, it's been mentioned before, Having um, you know representation from uh, from vets and, and close contacts with with customers with whom we've got a, a strong uh, relationship means that we can uh, we, we've got the, the the capability close at hand um, to be able to get out there and, and have these conversations and have these um, uh, test um, cycles uh, while we've still while we're still in development of the product. So yeah, that's uh, re very interesting um, hearing hearing about these different stages and these parts of these development as well. Um, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll have heard us discussing possible future imaging developments. But I mean, I think we're we're really sort of intrigued and eager to get uh, your your kind of um, your kind of. Uh, perspective on what you see as the future developments in ultrasound technology and what impact we're going to see on the sort of the end the end product so so what are these kind of future developments and how how is the sort of a future veterinary ultrasound scanner going to to look and behave yeah that's a really interesting question to think of how specifically the veterinary market of ultrasound scanners is going to look in the future um I think at the moment there's a lot of interesting stuff going on around artificial intelligence and, and machine learning, and that's all very interesting. Um, but I think one of the most interesting developments for me in ultrasound is the gradual shift towards um, software processing of ultrasound data. Um, we historically have uh, used 
um, a lot of electronics hardware to actually process the ultrasound data and then going into firmware and gradually that's um, now moving to software. Um, if you think of how even photography has changed over the years, this is maybe a good example, like our mobile phones can now take pictures that at one point are were just as good as professional uh, cameras. Um, and that's all kind of thanks to miniaturization of um, electronics, but also uh, a lot better software processing too. Um, and I think there's a there's a similar shift going on um, in ultrasound imaging at the moment as well. Uh, certainly in human uh, research, human medical research cycles. Uh, so I can't wait to see how kind of excellent imaging performance you'll be able to get from that, uh, and see how that can trickle down from human medical down to veterinary customers, um, kind of all over the world. Uh, what that could actually physically look like. Um, I think that a lot of the processing done in software will mean that your physical hardware of your ultrasound scanner will be much smaller. Um, we're already seeing there's you can have a whole ultrasound scanner fit within just a probe, and then that can plug into um, plug into a phone or in our case with the easy scan go or, or the dual scan go is actually um, transmit um, that ultrasound image to your phone um, so I think that's only going to get smaller and smaller um, until yeah all that processing is done somewhere else other than the actual ultrasound scanner. Guys, I think we're, we're, this is probably a good a good point to sort of to, to wrap this up. I, I I can only speak for myself, but it, I, I I think it's been absolutely fascinating. It's been it's been great to have you, uh, the four of you on the um, on the call, and 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 hopefully our listeners will will also have found it uh, just really enlightening, and maybe give them a, a little bit of an insight into the enormous amount of of sort of hard work and care and attention to to detail that goes into. Um, into designing these products, uh, sort of a, across the spectrum of of species that we that we deal with. So, uh, as I say, once again, thanks very much um, to uh, to all four of you for joining us. For any listeners, uh, as always, if you have any comments or feedback on either this episode or indeed any of the other episodes, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. Um, we're available on pretty much all all of the sort of usual communication formats uh, email realistically is going to be the best one so that's clinical at imv-imaging.com also as as usual if you've got any ideas for future podcasts we'd love to hear them please uh, please feel free to uh, drop us a line and we'll see what we can do and any other feedback as as well we're, we'd love to hear it not all podcast platforms will let you leave a review, I appreciate, but if you happen to uh, to favour one that does, then we'd be very, very grateful for a review. And if you like like what we do, if you like listening to the podcast, then please do spread the word, tell your friends. Uh, the more listeners we can get, the better for us and the m more rewarding it is. We'll be back next month with another great episode. Um, but in the meantime, please feel free to visit our website and our social media platforms for loads more uh, great learning educational content to help with your with improving your um, your imaging skills so until next month please stay safe uh, and i will wrap up by saying goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me bye everyone from me 
And then finally, uh, last but not least, thank you very much for for uh, for the uh, sort of attention and appearance of our four excellent guests, Rab, Kieran, Fraser, and Graham. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. Bye, Cheers, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.